0: I'm sure you've noticed that the very best stories have jeopardy right the way through to the end, that there has to be twists and turns in the plot right until the closing credits if you're watching something, and sometimes maybe you're watching a film or a a program on TV. Maybe you're watching it in one of the streaming services, or maybe a bit more old-school using a DVD and you kind of think that everything has got to its resolution. It looks as if everything is nice and neatly tied up, but then you look at the time at the bottom, and there's still 10, maybe 15 minutes to go, and you realize, hang on, this is all just too neat. Something is just around the corner here. There's going to be one final twist before all of this is done. And we know that often the best stories are based on actual events. They're based on things that really happened. And what we've been reading together and thinking about on the run-up to Christmas over this last number of weeks is we have looked at the book of Ruth together. This is a great story, and please be absolutely sure of this. This is a real story. These were actual people, and they're grounded in history at the end of the book because their their names appear in a genealogy. They they appear in a list of names that show that this is a family that has a line in the history of Israel. In fact, they were an important part in God's great salvation plan. And in this story, by the end of chapter 3, where we left off last week, We're pretty sure how this is all going to finish up, that a story that started so badly looks as if it's going to actually end well, because our hope is that Boaz will step in and he will save the day. That was certainly the hope of the main characters in the story. Remember Naomi's confidence back in chapter 3 towards the end of the chapter in verse 18— that when Ruth reports back all that has happened, she is confident. She tells Ruth, Boaz will not rest until the matter is settled today. And we saw last week Ruth's confidence in boldly approaching Boaz in the way that she did on the threshing floor at night, and boldly asking him to be her Redeemer. Remember the way she did that? back in chapter 3 and verse 9, she says, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. And what she's effectively saying is, take me under your wing. Rescue me, protect me. And she was confident to go and ask this of Boaz because of all that she knew about Boaz, all that we've discovered in this series and this book so far, that Boaz was a godly person, that he acted in the way that God did. In the case of this story, he showed loving kindness, the kind of loving kindness that God shows us. And as we get to the end of chapter 3, we're confident that things are going to be okay because of Boaz's intention to get it all sorted out. Because on that night, there on the threshing floor, he makes a promise to Ruth. In chapter 3, verse 11, and he says to her, Now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. And how amazing those words must have been for Ruth, given her circumstances, that Boaz is saying, Don't worry, I'm going to act. I'm going to get this sorted out. And yet, as we come to the final chapter and our final time in the book of Ruth today, there is still jeopardy. There is one final twist. There's one potential problem that could soar this beautiful love story. One hurdle that needs to be cleared before we can have the happy ending that we're all hoping for. So, turn with me again, please, to Ruth and to to Ruth chapter 4. And as we look at this chapter for a few moments today, again, we get to see that the customs and the traditions of this time and this society were so different from how it is today. And not all of this is easy for us to understand, but the key facts are so clear. And remember what we have discovered about this role of kinsman-redeemer. We have discovered that for a woman In Ruth's day and and Ruth's society, it was the most terrible thing to be left alone. To be left as a widow meant that you had no hope and no future. And so, the Lord, through His law, made provision for widows and orphans in these kinds of circumstances, that in the law in the book of Deuteronomy, provision was made that if a man died— that his brother would marry his widow and buy his land in order to give that woman and that family a future. And in a case like this where there was no surviving brother, then the next closest male relative could volunteer to buy the land, to marry the woman, and to redeem the situation. In other words, to put things right, which is why they were known as a Redeemer a kinsman redeemer. And so, this is the problem that we have as we arrive at chapter 4, that there was, in fact, a closer relative to Naomi's dead husband than Boaz. There was one who, by right, could take the role of kinsman redeemer. And you'll remember that Boaz was, as we're told at the beginning of chapter 2, a worthy man. He was a standout kind of person. He would have done the right thing, and he always made sure that things were done right, which is why he had to do this in the right kind of way. And that's why we read of this long and this pretty formal process here in verses 1 to 12. And all of this happens at the town gate. It's a place where all of the important business of the day was transacted. So, if we just really quickly scan down through those verses, first of all, in verses 3 and 4, Boaz explains the situation to this unnamed relative. He gives him the opportunity to be the person who will buy the land, and the man agrees to buy it. And all of a sudden, it seems as if Boaz's plan is starting to fall apart. But then if you look on at verses 5 and 6, well, this man suddenly changes his tune. When Boaz explains that Ruth is included in the arrangement, that under the rules and the provisions that are in place, he would be agreeing to redeem her also, and he would have to take her as his wife. And the man's tune changes. Look at verse 6. He's really clear about it. Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, all of the ins and outs of this, all of the fine details of this Are pretty complicated. And it's not only that they're difficult to understand, some of the things, and you can read scholar after scholar, seem impossible for us to fully understand looking back at this so many years later. But the bottom line is that this man was a reluctant redeemer, he was unwilling to act as a Redeemer in this situation. And when you put him and Boaz side by side, you get to see that they're very different types of Redeemer. He was a reluctant Redeemer. And really, this omnipotent man is in it for himself. What he is most concerned about is how things will end up for him that he's much more concerned about his own welfare, his own future than that of Naomi and Ruth. And so, side by side with Boaz, he makes Boaz stand out so much as being a willing redeemer, because this chapter and this omnipotent man reminds us that what Boaz was doing here was a voluntary thing. There was no obligation for Boaz to act in this way. but he did it out of love for Ruth. He was willing to take on that role. And his commitment is sealed in what is a really strange way to us in verse 8, by the, the closer relative taking off his sandal and giving it to Boaz. That was really like a handshake and the signing of a contract ruled into one. And then Boaz made his commitment really clear in verses 9 and 10. In the most public of ways, in among the elders, he said, today you are witnesses, verse 9, that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. So, Boaz kept the promise that he made to Ruth. Out of love for her, he was a willing and a committed redeemer. And in that way, Boaz points us to the Lord Jesus He shows us how Christ is as our Redeemer, because think about it, Jesus was willing and committed to redeem us, so much so that that willingness, that commitment took Him all the way to the cross, where He sacrificed Himself for us. And it's at the cross that we see the extent of God's love for us. So, today, do you see your great need of this redemption? And have you trusted Him? Have you trusted Jesus as your Redeemer? But if you look on down this passage, you see that alongside redemption, there is great blessing. Look at verse 13, and the blessing is that eventually Boaz and Ruth are married. And they have a son, a son who guarantees Ruth's future, even beyond Boaz's death. And yet, I want you to see that right at the end, there's something really interesting and almost a bit unexpected about how the story ends in verse 17. Look carefully at that verse. And we know that in the second half of this book, the focus had shifted away from Naomi. The focus was very much on the love story between Boaz and Ruth. They became the central characters. And it is Ruth who married Boaz. It's Ruth who has a son to Boaz. And yet, look at what the women say in verse 17. This is really notable. They say, Naomi has a son. because ultimately it is Naomi who lets us see what the Lord does through our Redeemer, how He puts right all the things that are wrong, because it was Naomi who lost her sons back in chapter 1. It was Naomi who in chapter 1 told the women, look, don't call me that name anymore. I've changed my name to Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has made my life very bitter. And indeed, these women who say that Naomi now has a son were the very same people who back in chapter 1, verse 19, exclaimed, can this be Naomi when she returned and was so stricken with grief that she didn't look like herself anymore? And so it was Naomi who was ultimately blessed by the Lord through her Redeemer Boaz. And that's such a beautiful picture of what redemption is. Think about it. The woman who had lost her sons was now cradling a son. The woman who had lost her future was now holding her future in her arms. And so verse 17 is a wonderful verse. It is the happy resolution that we have all been waiting for. It is the happy ending that we had hoped for. And yet, it is not the end of the book. In fact, the book ends with a list of names, and here are the final names in that list in the closing verses, verses 21 and 22. And if you were to read your way through that book in one sitting… You might get to that list of names at the end of chapter 4 and think, what's that all about? What an anticlimax. Why didn't they just finish it in verse 17? Now, that is the Hollywood ending. Here's this woman who has lost everything, and she is holding her grandson. She is holding her son. Fade to black. That's where it should end. But I want you to think about this list of names, as being like the closing titles that you sometimes get when you've watched a long, long series on TV or a long movie, and you know how it ends. It tells you what happens to the people next. And all of the key characters, you see a photograph or a little clip of them, and it says, they went on to become the president of whatever and tell you about the rest of their lives. That's what these closing verses are doing. reminding us that this story, as brilliant as this story is, is just a a small chapter of a much, much greater story. That God, through Boaz, not only brought salvation and deliverance to Naomi and Ruth, but the Lord would use Boaz and Ruth as part of a great salvation plan that would bring rescue to countless people that the son that Boaz and Ruth had would be part of a line leading to David, the greatest king of Israel, and ultimately a line leading to Jesus, to the Messiah, to the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who came into this world to save his, His people from their sins. There's a lot of love for this book of Ruth, because we love a story with a happy ending. But this Christmas, as we look at the world around us, as we look at conflict in the Middle East and Ukraine, as we look at political discord in our nation and locally as well, and then maybe as we look at our lives, and we look at our family and we see many problems that sometimes overwhelm us. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's the book of Ruth, but in my story, it's really unlikely to have a happy ending. But today, I want you to be really, really clear about how it will be for God's people in Christ, how it will be for those who turn to and trust in Jesus as Redeemer? Do you ever take a a sneaky look at how a book ends? I used to do that quite a bit. So, you're about chapter 3 or chapter 4, and you wonder, where's this all going? I'll tell you what. Let's look at the final paragraph and get an idea. Or sometimes you're kind of slavishly watching your way through a big movie, and you think, why am I doing this? Let's fast-forward to the final five minutes and see how this finishes up. Well, Ruth is just a tiny part of God's big story, a story that unfolds over hundreds of years across 66 books. And I want to tell you today, I've gone to the end and I've read it, and it's a good end it's a good ending for God's people in Christ. You could read it for yourself. Don't worry, it's not cheating. Go to the end and take a look. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 5. And the words are this, "'Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them.'" They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then one other voice is added to that, and it is the voice of the Lord Himself who in control, seated on His throne, says, I am making everything new. And this is how it will be for those who share in that new creation through Christ. True hope is found in the ultimate Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.